chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, let's begin reading at verse 12, and we'll read through verse 17, focusing mainly on verse 17 this morning. We'll read verses 12 uh, through 17. Before we read God's holy word, let us pray. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we come before your word knowing that these words are not the words of men. These are the words that you have breathed through your spirit, your perfect word, without error, infallible, perfect to accomplish all of your purposes. We tremble before it, and we ask that you would speak to us through it by your spirit. Speak through your servant, cleanse him, that he might minister your word faithfully to your people. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. After I finish reading the passage, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond with thanks be to God. This is God's holy word. He gives it to his people for our good. Let us attend to its reading. For the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's inspiring and perhaps a little bit humbling and convicting to think about the way that our American forefathers carved out this day for us to pause and to observe. I like the tradition we have of reading a Thanksgiving proclamation, whether from the past or the present. And in one sense, we can say that this day was more commanded than it was given. The civil leaders and magistrates said, stop working, give thanks to God. Nowadays, with all the provisions that we have, the kinds of things that our industry and economy has given to us, mostly we're all happy to have the day off. Most of us can afford it. But back then, in a mostly agrarian society with none of the modern machines and tools, a, a day around harvest time or even shortly thereafter was really uh, not a, a good day to take off and to pause from everything. Every day was extremely valuable. This was, a, of course, a society that basically stopped every Sunday for the proper worship of God. But taking another day was a big deal. 
And think about in 1789, President George Washington, almost 12 months in advance, declares a day of thanksgiving. And he did not know what was going to happen between uh, that, that time and the Thanksgiving. Was it going to be a year of drought? Was it going to be a year of flood? Would the harvest be in by late November because of the flooding this year? I've been told that really harvest is not fully in this year. So what it does is it shows us a steely resolve to have this day no matter what. No matter what, we are going to have this day of thanksgiving. Thus, it forces us to ask the question, why? Why did they have such a steely resolve to have this day? Why was everyone called upon to pause, to, in a sense, almost take another Sabbath day devoted to prayer and fasting and feasting and especially to give thanks? The answer, it seems to me, is, is quite clear if we think about it. If scripture makes clear that giving thanks is something that we are commanded to do, it's not a suggestion, it's not sort of a nice thought that, hey, if you could, if you could do this, that would be nice. No, scripture commands us to give thanks to God. And if that is so, then there ought to be an intentional ordering of our affairs and our lives in order to achieve this disposition of thanksgiving with God's help and God's grace. This is something that the leaders of the nation recognized. And so President Washington said, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. When a parent sees a young child receive a gift from someone else and, and a generous gift and they're looking at their shiny new toy and they're so excited, what do they often do? They, they'll immediately turn around and start walking away wanting to go and play with the toy. And a good parent will say, now what do you say? And the child will normally turn around and sort of sheepishly say, Thank you. Now, when that happens, uh, that is not really a free rendering of thanksgiving, but all parents, all good parents know that raising a child devoid of gratitude would be a nightmare for them. You're not preparing them to be a good person in the world. And so we hope that through the continual uh, instilling of this practice of thanksgiving, that one day, by God's grace, they will realize that they are to be thankful for the things that they have. And George Washington, I would be sure to say, did not think of his citizens as young little children, but unless there is opportunity made for us to reflect, unless there is an intentionality of saying, take time and reflect and be thankful, then I am sure that we will not do it. And since the scriptures give us such an emphasis on these things, we know that we must attend to these commands of God and to seek to honor him in these ways. A couple of ideas this morning. The first is this, the command, the duty to be thankful. The command and the duty to be thankful. We are commanded to be thankful people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I want to suggest to us that thankfulness is a theology exam. Not like the theology exams that seminary students have to take, but a theology exam nonetheless. One author, a very wise author, says this, Thanksgiving is a deeply theological act rightly understood. 
As a matter of fact, thankfulness is a theology in microcosm, a key to understanding what we really believe about God, ourselves, and the world we experience. The degree to which you are thankful says the degree to which you recognize the sovereignty of God over all of your life and the fact that all that you have comes from him. A lack of thankfulness stems from a lack of belief. Romans chapter 1, when the apostle is describing those who do not have any faith or belief in God, what does he say? They did not honor him as God, nor did they give thanks. Unless we believe James 1, every good and perfect gift comes from above, unless we believe that, then we will not be thankful. So it flows out of God's sovereignty. And it flows out of one of the solas of the Reformation. Thankfulness flows out of soli deo gloria. All things to the glory of God alone. Why? Because it all comes from him and it it all is to be rendered back unto him in service to him. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? Uh, Three things I think we could just quickly mention from our verse in Colossians. To do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus means first that in all things, all of our days, whatever we're doing, we recognize Christ's lordship and authority. Notice that Paul says there in verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. He is Lord. He is King. He is Master. He is the one who commands his people and his people follow him. So first, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus means to recognize his lordship and authority in your life. He is the master. I am his servant. Secondly, it means this. In all things, you are to seek his glory and the exaltation of his name. You're not to seek the exaltation of your own. We, we all are to have a deep sense that every day we are living and working for Jesus. We're errand boys and girls for Jesus Christ the Lord. So we recognize his lordship, we seek his glory, and then in all things, what do we do? We bless and we praise him. We bless and we praise him. And those, all of those things stand before us each and every day as callings upon our lives. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So it's a theology exam. What do you really believe about God? Do you believe that he's sovereign? Do you believe that you are to render unto him all things and to give him all the glory in all things? If you do, then your life will be filled with thankfulness and thanksgiving. How to be thankful. I, biblically, we can give a, a, just a sweeping view of scripture and just see it again and again and again. So these are the six R's of biblical thanksgiving. Don't worry, we'll go through them quickly. These are the six R's of biblical thanksgiving. Hopefully that will help you in some sense recall many of these. How to be thankful. The first thing is this, you need to recognize the blessings of God as blessings. Recognize the blessings of of God as blessings. A lot of times I think we sort of go through life, we don't take the time to actually name and recognize and notice the many things in which God has blessed us, in which God has graciously preserved or uh, given to us his tender mercy. Just a very practical example. Every time you start your car, you go out on, on the road, think about the thousands of people that are joined with you on the road and the many things going on in everyone's life, the many challenges that they're facing and, and all of the things on their plate. 
Everyone's busy. Everyone's trying to get somewhere. And sometimes maybe we just say, well, I'm just going to play the odds on this one. There's a 99.9% chance or whatever that I'm going to get to my destination safely. And so perhaps we just go through those kinds of things and we're not thinking in our mind that really if God is sovereign, then it depends upon him for us to arrive safely. We need to be the kinds of people who recognize the blessings of God. There's a Puritan pastor, John Flavel, who was a pastor to seafaring people. And sailors are kind of like farmers in the sense that they have to recognize that their life is in God's hands. Right? Farmers, if it's uh, pouring rain or whatever is going on, God really determines your nature of the work each and every day. And you realize day by day you have to lean on him. Sailors are, are similar. And Psalm 107 gives us a little insight into that. Psalm 107, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, that wonderful psalm of thanksgiving. But in Psalm 107, there's this, this fascinating passage that has to do with those who go out to sea. And what they recognize when they're out to sea is God is in control. There are so many things going on while I am at sea that I can't control. And so it's only by God's will that I will arrive safely. Listen to verse 23 of Psalm 107. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. And they reeled, and they staggered, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And then it concludes this way, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And Pastor John Flavel would often reference this passage just to, just to impress upon his people that you need to recognize the blessing of God. Psalm 107 says this, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So we need to recognize. Secondly, we need to go deeper than just recognition. We need to reflect. We need to reflect upon the many mercies, blessings, the things that God has given to us for which we ought to be thankful Without concentrated contemplation, we will never deepen in our appreciation for what God has done. Without being intentional about it. Psalm 111 verse 2 says this, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Psalm 77 verse 12, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Many of us are going to be doing a lot of chewing today. Just like we chew on food, we need to chew on the mercies of God the blessings of God, to turn them over in our minds. And unless we do that, uh, we will not uh, render them rightly. So recognize, reflect. Third, record. Record. I would just say remember, but I was talking with with my brother-in-law about this the other day, and he said, you tell people to remember something, and they'll just say, oh yeah, I'll remember it. You need to record it. I've uh, sometimes challenged people to say when People tend to be filled with doubt or bitterness or frustration and say, sit down and with a pen and paper, write down every single thing in your life for which you ought to give thanks to God. Write down every single thing. I've had a couple people come back at me and say, well, I could, I could name everything in five seconds. It would take me no time at all. Of course, 
with some reflection, what do we find? We find that the blessings of God will be like trying to number the raindrops in a thunderstorm. The blessing of God overflows in our lives, particularly when we begin to realize that we don't deserve all the, all the good things that he gives to us. Recognize, reflect, record, fourthly, rejoice. You cannot rightly consider the work of God in your life and, have, and, and remain unaffected. You cannot rightly consider the blessing and the work of God in your life and remain unaffected. Psalm 92, verse 4. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. Psalm 126, verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us. Therefore, we are glad. A proper sense of God's mercies will, one Puritan says this, will melt our hearts into holy love, joy, and admiration. If you think about the work of God, it will melt your heart into love, joy, and admiration. Rejoice. Recognize, reflect, record, rejoice. Fifth, recount. Recount. What I mean by that is this. Fill your mouth. Fill your conversation with the blessing of God. I think the people of God often underestimate how wonderful an effect they can have on their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ with an overflowing thankfulness that fills their conversation. To say day after day and to name it with our tongue, with our lips, that God is good, that God has given us so much. Psalm 51 says this, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Of course, one of the the chief ways that we do that is in singing. We saw that in Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. One of the ways that we teach and admonish one another is in our joy-filled singing unto God. But it's also in our faith-filled conversation with each other. Don't underestimate the effect that you can have on your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ by filling your mouth, filling your conversation with thankfulness, and then think about as you turn outwards to a world that is in need, to a world that knows not Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and and his grace. Don't you think that God would have it so that his people would fill their mouths with his praise so that the world could see God's people and say they have a rest, a joy, and a satisfaction that I do not have, and I understand that I need that, and I want that in my life. God can use us in those ways uh, to speak the truths of the gospel. Recount, recount the goodness of God. Recognize, reflect, record, rejoice, recount. And then sixthly, where does it all come to? It comes to rendering praise. It's a changed life. It's a a transformed life. What does it mean to live a life of thankfulness? Being truly grateful, being truly content in God, truly joyful, will manifest itself in free and joyful obedience to your God, to your Lord, and to your King. The end of Psalm 50 says this, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Romans chapter 12, Therefore, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable service. Give your life in a way that is holy and pleasing to God. As we close, just want to consider a couple of things. And, and one of the things about the thankfulness that we see in, in the scriptures is the way that it's all-encompassing. 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances. Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, uh, then serve the Lord, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus by giving thanks or while giving thanks. Ephesians 5 verse 20 says, be always giving thanks and for everything, be giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of these things that we talked about today, they are much easier, they come much more naturally when things are going well. When we can look at our life and say, I, I don't know that I can find something in which God has not richly blessed me. But what about when things aren't going so well? What about when we wake up and we don't feel like we want to or should give thanks to God for the, way, uh, for the things in our life? I wanted to pose the question for us, and I think scripture answers it abundantly clearly. Can we thank God for trials? Can we thank God for trials? I'm going to share with you this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Listen to what God says to his people. This is after they've wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. And at the end of it all, he says, to this, he says this, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. You shall remember... The whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What we learn there in that passage, what God is doing with his people when he brings us through darker times. When we walk through valleys, what is he doing? He's humbling us. He's testing us. He wants to bring out what is in our heart. He wants to bring out a, a, a more resolved love and devotion to him. And he wants us to know that we do not live on material blessing alone. In fact, we don't primarily live on that. We primarily live by his grace and all that he has given to us in Christ. And so in James chapter 1, it says, count it all joy, my brothers. In other words, he's saying, give thanks when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. What he's saying is you want to have endurance, and you're going to get it through the trials that God brings your way. Steadfastness, and then let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Paul says something similar. He says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Why does hope not put us to shame? Because the greatest blessing of God is something that cannot be touched 
by trials or tribulations. It cannot be touched by circumstantial things that happen in your life. You will not be put to shame if you have faith in Christ because if you have faith in Christ, you can be sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor powers nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the greatest blessing and the greatest blessing can never be taken away. And what God wants is he wants a steely resolve and a devotion to Christ and a desire to exalt him in all that you do and every breath that you breathe and every day that he gives you, whatever you do, doing everything in his name. And so if you have had trials this year, you can be sure that if you have suffered on the way of obedience. So the first thing there is that you need to make sure that when trials come your way, you do not waste them. It's possible for us to waste our trials. But if we suffer on the way of obedience, we can be assured first that we know Christ better. Why can you thank God for trials? Because in them, when you do them, when you, when you approach them rightly, you know Christ better. The Apostle Paul speaks of uh, knowing Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings. When we suffer, we get to know more deeply our Savior who suffered for us. Our Savior who died for us. Our Savior who took on sin for us. We know him better. Secondly, we have a fuller vision of his glory. We learn that we do not live on bread alone. We're filled with a vision of the glory of Christ. And a desire to see that increase in the world. And then thirdly, we are more satisfied in him. He chips away our reliance on other things. And isn't that something to be thankful for? That through the things we never would have asked, through the things we never could have imagined, that what God is doing through that is he's chipping away our reliance on things that are going to pass away. He's chipping away our faith in things that don't deserve our faith. He's chipping away our love of things that don't deserve the glory that only he deserves. For that reason, brothers and sisters, first, suffer on the path of obedience and learn by God's grace through the the difficulty and all that comes our way to thank God for trials and let your thankfulness abound in Christ because in Christ you know that you have the greatest blessing and the greatest blessing can never be taken away. Amen. Let's pray. Great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. The only way to you, the only mediator between God and man. The only name under heaven by which we may be saved. So we look to him. We trust in him. Work through uh, your word and your truth to chip away in us all that relies on on things other than you and other than Christ. May you be our rock and our refuge, for you have been our redeemer. We stand here as your people, giving you all the glory. Be with us in the rest of today. Fill our minds and our hearts with all of these truths that we may go forth and live a life of thankfulness unto you. In Christ's name, amen.